often we're very quick to make judgments on whether something is good or bad. Four years ago in February, I had an appendicitis. Bad. At the appendicitis, they discovered that I had a tumor. Seems bad. But ultimately, it was good because they caught it really early. And you don't ever think that you'd thank the Lord for an appendicitis, but after going back now and thinking through that, believe me, I wasn't happy when we were getting ready to go to the hospital. And I wasn't happy when he told me, you got a tumor the size of a golf ball on your kidney. And I wasn't happy when he said, all right, we're going to take your appendix out tomorrow, and then you'll have to set up with a specialist. And then that came out just weeks later, then I had surgery. But ultimately, all these things that I thought were bad, ultimately turned out for good. God has a way of taking the challenges and adversities and what we think is really bad and negative and using them for good. But sometimes we just look with human perspective. So in thinking of human perspective, last week I pulled out a country song. Today I'm just pulling out the oldies, okay? Now, outside of my boys who know who this is, I would guess that probably most people under 40 may not recognize the name of this band. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, all right? Hey there, little red riding hood, you sure are looking good, you know? And Wooly Bully. They wrote a song uh, called, Oh, That's Good, No, That's Bad. And it, it says, not long ago, I was walking down the street when a woman in a car knocked me off my feet. Oh, that's bad. He said, no, that's good. My insurance paid me a lot of dough, more money than I'd seen in a year's payroll. They said, oh, that's good. He said, no, that's bad. On doctor bills is where my money went, and all I had left was a very bad limp. They said, oh, that's Bad. He said, no, that's good. Because the way I walked, it got me a role as the Marshall's partner on a TV show. Pretty young actresses started hanging around, and every night we'd go to town. He said, oh, that's good. He said, no, that's bad. I ended up back in a hospital bed because my horse fell on my bad leg. He said, oh, that's bad. He said, no, that's good. Because just when I was feeling my worst, I fell in love with a beautiful nurse. (laughs) Say, oh, that's good. He said, no, that's bad. Because I found out she was the doctor's wife. Now I'll be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. (laughs) Because no matter how I pleaded and begged, he operated on my good leg. (laughs) Said, oh, that's bad. And then he says, no. That's awful. So that's the way the song ends. Is it possible that God can take the negative circumstances and the adversities in our life that we feel are so negative and discouraging and frustrating and use them for his good? That's exactly what we see. In Philippians chapter 1, 
as we pick up in verse number 12 and we think about Paul as he is sharing the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse number 12. Philippians 1, 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for our time. Challenge us with your word. Lord, for those especially that are facing adversity and challenges and difficult circumstances, give them a word from you today. In your name, amen. Paul had a desire to go to Rome. His desire to go to Rome because, was because Rome was the key city of the Roman Empire. This was the pinnacle place where he wanted to go so that he could share the gospel. His desire was to go as a preacher. Paul ended up going to Rome instead as a prisoner. But as a prisoner the Lord opened up doors for Paul to take advantage of his chains and to share the gospel. So that what was meant for evil against him and having him in chains ultimately turned out for the good of those that were around him. He shares here that he's been able to share the gospel with those as he's in chains and encouraged others in the body of Christ to share with others while they're outside the walls of the prison uh, and without chains. What we sometimes look at as adversity and difficulty, God has said, look, Instead, I want you to turn your focus and change your mind on this and think about this as a way of ministry. Now, I know what most of us think. When we face hard times in our life and we face adversity and difficulty, the easy prayer is, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, this isn't fun. This isn't comfortable. God, this hurts. Lord, this isn't fair. God, get me out of here. And instead, Paul in this moment says, Lord, may Jesus be proclaimed here. May the gospel be spread here. And his emphasis throughout the book of, of Philippians is really on the gospel. That's what we talked about last week in verse number five, as Paul shared and was thankful for the partnership in the gospel that the church at Philippi had with him. Remember, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He is actually under house arrest so that he is in a house. He has some freedom, but he finds himself chained to a Roman guard 
24 hours a day for two plus years during this time that he writes the book of Philippians. And yet we find that Paul is passionate about one thing and one thing only, and that is the gospel. Notice with me in verse number five. He says, I'm, I'm, I give thanks to God for your partnership in the gospel. Notice down with me in, in verse number seven, at, at, down toward the end, he says, as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Notice with me in verse number 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. Notice in verse number 17, the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Notice in verse number 27, only conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. In the end, he says that people will know that we're striving uh, together or in truth for the gospel. His message was singular. His focus was set. His passion was stoked. One thing really matters in this life, and it is the gospel. Whether I am a preacher or a prisoner or a preacher while I'm a prisoner, the A number one aim is this, that people know that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that Jesus can bring forgiveness and eternal life. Have you experienced the good news of the gospel? Do you know for certain that if you die today, that you have been forgiven of your sin and will be ushered into heaven because of the gospel? It is all about the gospel so that we see even in adversity, Paul has one passion and one passion only, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That's why he is so stoked about sharing the gospel. But we find him in adversity. It would have been easy for Paul to write to the church at Philippi and say, hey guys, pray for me. Man, I am locked up. I don't have my freedom. You know, I don't get the food, the attention. I don't get the care I want, I need. I can go down through the list of all the complaints I have. And yet he never does that. Instead, he calls them to joy and he promotes the message of the gospel. So let me challenge you with this. Are you at a place in your life where you're experiencing joy and you're passionate about sharing the gospel? I dare say in prison that might be really hard, but it is not impossible. Paul sets the example on how that happened. Now, As we go back in verse number 12, as he looks at this adversity that he's facing, he says this actually has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that the adversity, actually what he thought was going to be negative or what many pictured as negative, has turned out for the positive. So let's think about adversity just for a minute. And I want us to think about three truths when it comes to adversity. First off, adversity in and of itself can open our eyes to the truth and the message of the gospel. Adversity can open our eyes to the gospel. I was able to share Christ with someone just a a few weeks ago. And the reason that I was able to share Christ with, with this person was because they were going through a hard time in life and they felt like they were missing something. They needed something. That, that everything in life just wasn't working out the way that they wanted and, 
and, and man, they're struggling. And so what did they do? They reached out. They said, hey, is there any hope? Is there any message? We know you're a preacher. Is there anything that you can say to offer hope at this time while I'm facing the difficulty of my life? And so where did we go? We went to the gospel. Adversity can open our eyes to the gospel. Remember how the church in Philippi started in Acts chapter 16. Paul hears a vision of a man from Macedonia says, come over here. He goes over to the city of Philippi. Then he meets Lydia down by the, down by the river. And then he's cast out Paul, casts a demon out of a, uh, of a girl who is a fortune teller. He ends up getting beaten up, thrown in prison. They're praising the Lord at midnight. An earthquake happens. The chains fall off. The jail cells open up. And the jailer says, "Uh uh-oh, man, the prisoners have escaped, and it's my life for their life, and he's taking the sword and ready to go. Adversity. I have no hope. My life's over. The prisoners have escaped. Adversity. What am I going to do? Paul says, look, none of us have left yet. And then he asks the question in Acts chapter 16, in verse number 30, what must I do to be saved? How come that question came up? It came up because of adversity. So adversity can open our eyes to the message and the truth of the gospel. Now let's think back about Paul. And let's think about the history of Paul and the persecution that he brought to the early church. As we think about Paul, we look back in Acts chapter, uh, passages like Acts chapter 8 and and, and, and 9. And it says in Acts chapter 8... Uh, that Paul was there consenting to the death of Stephen. We see Paul's history of persecution. Paul grew up and he was a Hebrew among Hebrews. He was the top of the class. He was uh, tutored by a man named Gamaliel. He was head and shoulders, a Benjaminite. He was head and shoulders. He thought about everyone else and he heard the message of the gospel and he said, it's got to be stopped. And so when Stephen began to share the gospel in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and began to point and bring conviction to the religious people that were hearing, what did Paul do? Paul was there consenting. He was watching over the coats. He was the big boss there standing watching as the henchmen took Stephen's life out with stones. Paul's history of persecution. But that's not where it ends. Because Paul, the one who caused adversity for so many believers in Philippians 1, now is experiencing adversity as a Christian. We see Paul's history of persecution. But then we see Paul's testimony of salvation in Acts chapter 9. Because as Paul has received permission and now from the religious leaders and now is on his way to Damascus and ready to go and persecute more Christians, we see Paul's testimony of salvation as he is on the, the, the road to Damascus and a light blinds him from heaven. And he says, who are you? Or he says, he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Lord? And he answers back, who are you, Lord? It is the adversity of being knocked off of 
quote his horse as some in history have told us. It is the adversity of being blinded. It is the adversity of coming face to face with Jesus. And now his eyes are opened up to the truth. And the one who was the persecutor in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 has this radical change in his life as he comes to know Jesus personally in Acts chapter 9. And he goes to see a man named Ananias. And then the message of the earth and the 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 messengers of the early church, even as they are afraid of Paul, Paul now has a message to share. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. But adversity can open eyes to the gospel. Listen, we want to be sensitive to this, and you need to be sensitive to this in people's lives around you. Now, as some people go through adversity in their life, their goal is, hey, get me out of this, Uh, you know, pay my bills, Heal me. I don't want to change my sinful lifestyle. I just want, I just want to be relieved. But there are others who during times like this, as they face adversity in their life, become very sensitive to spiritual things. And when people like that and their sensitivity toward what's going on in my life and why is it so hard and, and what about spiritual things? Those are the moments that we as a church want to say, we care. And that we as individuals say, I care. And I want to help you. But most of all, I want to give you the message that can change everything. That's why we want to be about Connect Ministry. That's why we want to be about impacting our community and having the sensitivity as we walk in the world in which we live. We're watching together. You may be in adversity today. And adverse, listen, the adversity you're in today may open the opportunity for an eternal ministry of gospel impact in someone's life. So don't forget it. God doesn't waste our pains. God doesn't waste our circumstances. He wants to use them to share the message of Jesus with others. Adversity can open our eyes to the gospel. But not only does adversity can open our eyes, but we see in this passage that adversity can open opportunities to share the message of the gospel. That that. The gospel can be shared as we face these adversities, and that's what we see happening. Let me ask you a question. Do you know any Bible characters who faced adversity and through their adversity had a lasting and major impact upon those that are around them? You don't have to look long and hard for that. There's so many examples, I I can't give you all of them, but let me just throw Joseph out in Genesis chapter 37. He's the 11th of 12 brothers. He's hated by his 10 older brothers because he's righteous. His 10 older brothers, as he goes out to minister to them as they're serving their father, hate him so much that they throw him in a pit and they were going to kill him, but they decided instead that they were going to sell him. And they sold him as a slave and he ended up down in Egypt. So you see, he's hated by his brothers, bad. He's thrown into pit by his brothers, bad. He's sold into slavery by his brothers, bad. Then, while he's a slave in Egypt, the master's wife lies about him. He ends up in prison, bad. But it is in prison 
that he reveals a dream and ultimately from about age 17 to about 30, he is, his life seems to be going down, 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 down. Adversity after adversity after adversity after adversity. And then we find the Lord changes everything. Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets it and becomes the second highest leader in all of Egypt and saves his own family and the whole nation of Israel at that time. Can God use adversity? Absolutely. We find adversity in every major Bible character. We find that they face difficulty. We move to the New Testament and think about the New Testament, Joseph and Mary. And the adversity of, and the scandal of having this baby before they're technically married. Look at the adversity that the disciples face as they sought to share the gospel. Look at the adversity that Peter and John face in passages like Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Look at the adversity that Paul faces in Acts chapter 13 through 28. Look at the adversity as Paul writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the adversity of being in prison. It is adversity. Think of the adversity. 1820, a young lady is born. At six months old, a charlatan doctor, or at six weeks old, a charlatan doctor puts eye drops in her eyes. She's blind forever. And through the adversity, she writes 5,500 plus hymns, uh, between 5,500 and 9,000 hymns. Many of them are in your hymn, in the hymnal. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Think of the adversity in 1967 as Johnny Erickson jumps in or dives into a a shallow uh, body of water, ends up paralyzed forever, writes a book that sells five million copies, has spoken and impacted millions of lives since then. Her ministry, Johnny and Friends, has given over a 100,000 wheelchairs worldwide. Think of the adversity that Stephen Curtis and Mary Beth Chapman faced as their oldest son actually and accidentally ran over one of their young daughters and they began a ministry called Maria's Big House of Hope that they take care of uh, disabled orphan children in China. Now think about the adversity that you're facing in your life and how can God use that to further the message of the gospel. So what we find is in verse number 12, Paul says that the adversity, what what seems like it's so bad, I want you to know, he says that it is actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, so that the gospel is shared in prison. And he says the whole palace guard, the praetorium, this is kind of the secret service of the first century. We find that these were the guys that were there to protect the Caesar here in Rome. And these guys were were incredible. They were the most skilled and the most active. And for every day, six hours a day, there's a palace guard that is chained to Paul. As Paul is in a house, and day after day, Paul is sharing gospel conversations. The Roman Empire at this time, from what I hear and understand, is trying to figure this thing of Christianity out. And so it would not surprise me at all if officials and government leaders would have come to hear the message of Christ from Paul while he was in chains. 
But you think that's incredible? Take your Bibles and flip over with me to Philippians chapter 4. Because I, 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 you, you've got to see this. Verse number 21. As he closes the book, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Now notice verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. What happened? Can I tell you what happened? Those that were chained up to Paul six hours a day, they heard the message of the gospel. And now guards and officials and members of this big household that were there to protect or lead or help guide in Caesar's house, they have become believers. And Paul writes and says, look, I, man, we greet you and, and those that you would know would, that are with me, yeah, they, they come and they see me and we write letters and we do those things and we talk about the gospel. But I want you to know there's a whole body of believers that are in Caesar's household now that have come to know Christ and they're your brothers and sisters because a prisoner went to Rome. A prisoner, oh, that's bad. <laughs> No, that's good. But not only is the gospel shared in prison, but notice what happens because the gospel is shared outside of prison. Notice with me in verse number 13 and following. He says, it's become evident to everyone in the whole palace guard, but then notice verse number 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak The word without fear. Paul's faith and courage inspired those that were not in jail, the believers that were outside of prison, so that they became more confident to speak the message. They're thinking, man, if Paul can see that guard over there saved while he's in prison, what about my neighbor? What about my friend? What about my family member? I surely can have the confidence to speak to them. And so this whole group of believers now is becoming more confident and more bold because Paul did it in prison. And if Paul can do it while he's locked up, I can do it while I'm free. Now go back. What if Paul's prayer would have been, oh, church at Philippi, pray for me to get out of jail as soon as possible. No. His prayer was that in the adversity, the gospel would be shared. In adversity today, transition today, challenge today, maybe the most refreshing thing that you could do for your spiritual life is to think about your testimony and share it with somebody. Maybe the the greatest and spiritual highlight of your week would be to take the adversity that you're going through and turn it around and see who God leads in your path to share the message of Christ with. Adversity can open opportunities to share the gospel. Adversity can open eyes to see the message of the gospel. But thirdly, we see in this passage that adversity can open our life to find joy in 
the gospel. As we think about that, as the adversity and, and working in our life to find joy in the gospel, notice what Paul says in verse number 18. He says, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice and will rejoice. If you were in chains for Christ, could you find joy? If you were persecuted because someone knew that you loved Jesus and shared Jesus, would you be able to find joy? Most of us, our perspectives can be all wrong. That life is really more about me and how I feel and what I want than about him and the message of the gospel. And I say that not just preaching to you, but I say that preaching to me. I mean, I want everybody to like me. I, you know, I I like a comfortable life just like everybody else does. But what if God allows discomfort to come into my life? Can I walk through that with joy? Paul did. Matter of fact, this letter from prison uses the word joy or rejoice some 18 times. He finds joy in their partnership. In chapter 3, verse number 1, he calls them to rejoice in the Lord. But most of all, in... Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, if you missed it the first time, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, find joy, no matter what. So how could Paul do that? How can he end this section of Scripture and say, And in this I rejoice, yes, and will continue to rejoice. Paul found joy in Christ, no matter the circumstances. Paul found his joy in Christ, despite whatever he was facing. His joy wasn't in his circumstances. His joy wasn't in what he owned. His joy wasn't in what everybody thought about him. His joy wasn't in an easy life. His joy was in Christ. That's why he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not, hey, rejoice that your life is easy. Rejoice that you got a good job that, that's paying the bills. Rejoice that you drive a comfortable car. Rejoice that you have a nice house. Rejoice in all of those things. And, and people do find joy in those things. And there is a semblance in which, yes, we're thankful and grateful for all that God has given us. But what if it was all taken away? Could we find joy in Christ despite the circumstances? And then Paul found joy in the, in the gospel despite even his critics. Notice what happens. He rejoices because the gospel is being preached. But notice back up with me in verse number 15. He says, some preach Christ from envy and strife. He says in verse 16, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing to add affliction in my chains. Something you need to know here. Paul is not talking about unbelievers sharing the gospel. 
Paul is talking about believers who are sharing the gospel, but in some regard, they are envious of who he is, and they have a selfish and malicious motive against Paul while sharing the gospel. Does anything like this ever happen? That you're trying to do something good and somebody else is doing something good and yet maybe you have a bad attitude toward them and you want to do something even better for Christ because you don't want them to look as good as you do? Or maybe you're seeking to do something for Christ and somebody's always in that comparison game. They always want to one-up you. They always have to have a bigger, better story, no matter the circumstance. These are not unbelievers. These are believers. And in some regard, these are probably preachers and pastors in this area. Oh, Paul, you don't have to listen to him. Look, and the Lord's not blessing him. Look, he's in jail. There's this envious contentious nature, the comparison game. Whose pastor is better? Whose church is bigger? Who has given the most money? It's all of these kinds of things that go on, and they went on all the way in the first century. Have you ever thought or heard someone say, man, I wish we could just go back to the first century church? Well, can I tell you? They had problems. They had a lot of problems. If you don't know about their problems, just go read the book of 1 Corinthians. They got a lot of bad problems. People just think, oh, it was just the good old days. I heard somebody say recently that the good old days are normally mentioned by those who have a a bad memory and uh, a selective process when they come to talk about the good old days. Paul faced challenge and difficulty in his life. But you know what Paul would rejoice in? Not that I'm in a comparison game with anybody, but that Jesus is exalted. Whether I'm in jail or someone says something ugly. But I find interesting, Paul doesn't try to fight back. Notice, he just pivots. Verse number 15, some preach Christ from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, but the latter out of love. He says, yeah, those people are out there. I mean, they're, they're out there. But can I tell you, there's people over here who have the right heart and the right ambition. And I'm not going to fight with these folks over here. Instead, I'm going to join with everybody to make sure that the gospel message is sounding clear. So what's your life like right now? Good or bad? What's the circumstances? Well, no matter what they are, you're here for a reason. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says that you're his workmanship, that God has given you a unique time in history to live. He has shaped you in a unique way so that you can do the good works that he has created and has ordained for you to do already from the past. Are you on his page? 
Or are you just praying, God, I'd rather you just get on mine. Where are you today? Does the gospel matter? So that through adversity, and no matter what, Paul would say, I rejoice over the gospel. The good news. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus forgives. Jesus saves. And as Paul reminds us throughout the books, Jesus wins and Jesus is going to return. And that's what really, really matters.